This is People Every Day. Coming up, breaking down actress Ellie Kemper's teen pageant controversy and her new apology addressing its racist history. Plus, Jill Duggar's breast milk has literally gone to the dogs and a shocking new development in the case of the UK woman abducted and killed while walking home this past March. It's June 8th. Hi, everyone. This is People Every Day, and I'm your host, Janine Rubenstein, here with you this Tuesday. So much is happening, and I'm so happy to have my producer, Julia, back. She took a much-needed vacation to Charleston, and I'm so jealous, but that's okay because I plan on getting out of here myself and heading to some sandy shores soon. Uh, Speaking of which, today is World Ocean Day. I'm a big fan of the Pacific, and it's also National Best Friend Day. So hi, Mom and Doug and Autumn. Those are my BFFs. Make sure to send some love to yours today. Well, it is like headline city out there. Like I said, so much news is happening and we're just going to spend today digging into the biggest top stories. Like what is happening with the Sarah Everard case in the UK? That's the 33-year-old woman who was abducted and killed while just walking home this past March. And the case kicked off a whole movement pushing for increased safety and protection of women. Well, later in the show, I catch up with people crime reporter Chris Harris, who shares a shocking new development surrounding the police officer who was arrested in the case. Stick around for that. Over in the entertainment world, though, Chris Harrison, a different Chris, (laughs) is making news. He is officially out as host of the Bachelor franchise. Of course, this has been bubbling for a while following the racially insensitive comments he made a few months back during Matt James's season of The Bachelor. But it's official now. After 19 seasons, he is donezo. And Bachelor Nation is taking to social media with opinions on it all. And that's just one of the things buzzing on the TV front. So joining me now to get into what else is out there, you know this voice, People.com Managing Editor Charlotte Triggs is here. Hey, Charlotte. Hey, Janine. How's it going? Good, good. Really quick. Are you surprised by the Chris Harrison news? You know, actually, I'm a little surprised because I kind of thought that the show was going to try to, you know, test out another host, mm-hmm. give it a, give it a minute, give it some breathing room and see how people react. Because already we've seen in like our own people bachelor group on Facebook, like people who are fans of the show are fans of Chris Harrison. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I figured they would maybe just give us some breathing room and see how it goes. So I'm guessing that this might have been um, precipitated on Chris's end. He's like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to bow out. Wow. Yeah. I mean, well, let's let's move on to someone else who has been in the hot seat for, I guess, kind of somewhat similar issues, racially insensitive involvement. Ellie Kemper. This is our our, our big story today. She's best known for her roles in The Office, uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, of course, Bridesmaids. But uh, she has just been under fire for the last week. Right. And this all bubbled up on Twitter over her involvement in a pageant when she was a teenager, the Veiled Prophet Ball. So first off, Let's just explain to people what this is and how this whole controversy came about. So the Veiled Profit Ball is this um, St. Louis, Missouri-based pageant for, you know, the elite young ladies. It's like almost like a debutante ball vibe. And they name the queen of love and beauty. Um, and she was 19 years old when she participated in this. I mean, the the problem with this pageant is that it's like, you know, at one point they didn't let Jews participate in the organization. They didn't let any black people participate in the organization. So there's a distinct past of, you know, exclusion. And so I guess the point that she's making is that she didn't know that when she was 19, but she is acknowledging that there's not an excuse for not 
understanding the racist past of the organization. Um, and she is trying to take ownership here. I think she's really trying to acknowledge her own, the way she processed it all herself. Like she's acknowledging that when she first heard about this, she's like, guys, you're not understanding this, but like, I didn't do anything wrong. And she's realizing, wait, you know what? I actually did do something wrong by participating in this because 19 is old enough to have understood what I was signing up for. Yeah. Yeah. Just reading her statement, she had this one line I thought was so interesting. She said, there is a very natural temptation when you become the subject of internet criticism to tell yourself that your detractors are getting it all wrong. But at some point last week, I realized that a lot of the forces behind the criticism are forces that I've spent my life supporting and agreeing with. So it's kind of, you know, getting out of defense mode, it seems like, and saying like, look, yeah, this was like a a hugely racist organization at one point in its history. Uh, I should have done my research a little bit better, even though I was, you know, 19. And I'm acknowledging that. So just getting to that place seemed like this is like going behind the curtain of like cancel culture and like just the mindset. I mean, I will say, I think that part of what she probably the initial reaction and the organization put out a statement too. part of the initial reaction was that the internet decided to nickname it like Miss KKK, like the KKK pageant. Mm-hmm. There is no distinct connection known or documented between this organization and the KKK. And so the organization itself put out a statement basically disavowing any connection or support of, you know, um, I don't want to say overtly racist. I mean, like actively racist or, yeah. you know, organization well, like the KKK. Yeah, people people were connecting that because of, I guess, the it was founded by a former Confederate officer. And of course, you know, if you want to connect those dots, it's not hard to connect those dots between, you know, Confederate officers and the KKK. But the organization itself was not the KKK as people. And they denied having supported, given money to or had any. You know what I mean? Who knows? This is there's it's a very secretive organization is the other thing. There's not a lot known about it. And so. It's we're all kind of coming at this cold and it's like learning a lot in the process. And apparently she was, too, which she's now acknowledging, you know, is stuff that she should have researched and figured out, you know, 22 years ago. Yeah. And, and, and you're you're getting more from just everyone who's reading her statement now and, and kind of taking it in and, and, and analyzing it or, you know, just showing their support like Titus Burgess, who is her Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt co-star, um, who responded to her apology and said, you know, I love you, Ellie. Oh, and P.S. Next time, just ask me. I'll tell you what to do, <laughs> which is a very. That was Titus. nice. I mean, it's like, you know, kind of like Winky. He's not letting her off the hook totally, but he's supporting her as a good friend. You know what I mean? And it's obvious that they did have a tight relationship and stuff like that. So that's, you know, that's nice to see when somebody makes a full-throated apology and they really want to own up to what they did, that their friends come out and support them and, and stand by them. For sure, for sure. Okay, so I want to move on to another TV story uh, that is bubbling up about Kim's Convenience. So this is a show that's in its fifth and final season uh, that aired this week, and and several co-stars are speaking out, claiming that the show's production was racist. So this is just more in the vein, and and you know I I feel like in a post George Floyd situation where you know everyone is really kind of grappling with race in this country. I welcome these conversations and I feel like so many people are, are just speaking out about things that made them uncomfortable, made them uh, feel like they were marginalized. And then you have, you know, in Hollywood, this happening as well. So this whole show is all of the actors seem to be like just addressing things that were going on behind the scenes, right? 
Well, I guess the thing here is that they felt like they didn't have any input and that the producers, all of the writers that like basically all of the management on, on a show like this, the people who are actually putting it together and writing it and executing it are white when it's a show that's ostensibly telling stories of people of color. I mean, that's really the distinction between like what is diversity versus what is representation, right? Like representation means that the people have a seat at the table and they're telling their stories. Um, and that's what seems to have been just like overtly lacking here. For sure, for sure. And, and and just to go through a little of the backstory on the show. So you have Jean Yoon, who is being very open. She plays the matriarch on the TV show. And she just talks about a few examples. Like in one scene, she was wearing a, a nude colored garment and was supposed to be unaware that she looked naked and she says that was just humiliating and made her character seem stupid and then in another instance she was supposed to have multiple sclerosis and she told them like you know I'm Korean my character is Korean there's a very rare chance just of that being a possibility and they told her that she just doesn't understand comedy and just like you're saying it's like so people saying yeah. yeah it's dismissive and people are feeling like we can have a voice we want to hear these diverse stories but we want to hear them told correctly from a diverse point of view. Yeah, it makes no sense to have somebody writing something and then it's like you you tip them off. It's like, honestly, that's helpful to know that like, you know, this whole storyline might be flawed because this is like unlikely to occur um, and to ignore it is just like willfully looking the other way. Yeah, I, I'm interested in what um, Netflix, you know, will do with this because the, the final season um, is on Netflix. This is a, a show that films in Canada, but you know, they they've been very outspoken in supporting their and they're their investing artists. hugely yeah. in diverse storytelling. So it's like this is not what they want. And 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 we just have to get into this last story, Charlotte, because I know you can riff on this with me. Jill Duggar, also in the TV world, Jill Duggar is making headlines, of course, from Duggar family fame. But uh, there's much ado about her breast milk on social media right now, right? Yes. So she uh, did not want to get rid of. We can fully understand this as moms and and moms who breastfed babies uh, didn't want to get rid of milk that was kind of aging out and. What did she do, Charlotte? (laughs) Well, she defrosted it and then she let her son taste it again, see if he liked it. He said, like, I don't like that. So (laughs) she fed it to the dog. (laughs) <laughs> which that's what people are getting a little bit like scratching their heads over. Like, and she, wait, she, what? Yeah. yeah, I, you know, that's a new one on me. I've never heard of that, of feeding it to the dog. You hear about lots of stories about breast milk, like that, like bodybuilders want to drink it. Yes. And like, right. I think you told me that, that mm-hmm. like, there's a market for this kind of stuff. There's a black but, market for breast milk where, you know, these buffed up guys are trying to get even buffer <laughs> and they've read something or heard something that says that breast milk will get you <laughs> to the next oh level God. of lifting or something. It's so crazy. But, yeah. So, but dogs? Yeah. No. And of course, like the internet, I think, cares more about dogs than they care about people. They were like, what? Yes. You're giving it to the dog. You're going to make the dog sick. So she kind of like <laughs> in her own dogger version of a clapback. She was like, the dog is fine. I would never have done anything to the dog if I thought it was going to hurt him. Um, and that, you know, I guess the reason she gave it to the dog is that she was feeling sentimental about like finishing off her freezer supply of breast milk and wanted it to go to somebody that she considers family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a family dog. Because it's a rule um, of four, right? That's what I heard. Like yes. four hours sitting out, four days in the fridge and mm-hmm. four months in the freezer, right? And after that, right. 
It's bad. Well, my question is, why didn't she use it before? Like, what, what are you holding on to it for? I mean, it's like, <laughs> have have you ever used your breast? You have you have three beautiful babies. Have you ever used? Yes. They're they're big girls now, almost. They're not they're even get, babies anymore. Big, yes. I'm still breastfeeding, uh, Ramy. But have you ever used, or maybe your husband or something, used breast well, milk in a non traditional <laughs> way? <laughs> I will confess because I'm I'm gonna like I'm gonna roll the dice and bank on the fact that this podcast probably is not distributed in Costa Rica where my in laws retired. Um, <laughs> That my mother-in-law did tell me once at like she came over for dinner and she she confessed that she had tried my milk, um, oh which my I was like God. sort of scratching my head because it's like I think like if you're the mother you're probably at some point gonna try it because because it's like you know yeah you, you're when you're testing sure if it's, it's hot safe. or something if it's you kind too of hot, yeah. yeah the men are always curious so they generally try to like because they're gross you know anyway I mean? like, but... they're, yeah men are weird <laughs> like that but yes yeah, so to have it be like um yeah the mother love that was the, that that was a surprise I wasn't expecting that and I don't think that she just dabbed it I think she actually drank some oh and I was Lord. sort of like wait a minute but that's like my supply here and this was with my first baby the second time around I had like had twins. So I had like, not just double, like I had like triple the amount. Oh, the first time gosh. around, you know, when it's your first baby and it's just one baby, it's like, you know, that stuff's precious and it's not to be just used. You don't just put it in your cereal. I know. You know? See, I'm on the opposite end now. I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to pump some more. I need more. My, my, my supply is running out. She's just oh like, give it to the dogs. Give it to <laughs> no, the dogs. Don't give it to the dog. It's weird. <laughs> Charlotte, thank you so much for being on again today. Thank you. Next up, crime reporter Chris Harris on the news about Sarah Everard, the woman who was killed while just walking home in London. What really happened to her? Stay tuned. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Everyone, there are new developments today in a case that caught the attention of the entire world. This morning, a London police officer confessed to kidnapping and raping Sarah Everard. The 33-year-old disappeared while walking home in London back in March, and her remains were found later about 50 miles from where she was last seen. If her name sounds familiar, it's because it is. Her story prompted millions of women to speak out about gender-based violence and women's safety using the hashtag NotAllMenButAllWomen. So Chris Harris, who is a crime reporter here at People and covers these stories, is here to walk us through some of the basics of this. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm all right, Janine. How are you doing? Good. What What do we know about what happened to Sarah? Man, Sarah was uh, walking home on March 3rd. Um, uh, she had been at a friend's house uh, uh, that night in London. She was on her way home. She was kidnapped 
uh, and raped by this uh, police officer, Wayne Cousins. Um, and, and, and yeah, she was just plucked off the street. She was on her way home. She vanished. There were large searches for her um, throughout the countryside. Uh, they ended up finding her in a wooded area on March 12th, uh, sadly. And uh, there have been vigils since then in her honor. And she's sort of become a symbol of this movement uh, in the UK to, to against, you know, uh, male on, on female violence. Wow. And so what did police officer Wayne Cousins plead guilty to today? Because, I mean, there were, it made huge news when he was arrested, but there was a confession. Yeah, you know, he has pleaded guilty today. He was in court uh, in London uh, to plead uh, guilty to kidnapping and raping uh, Sarah. Uh, he uh, did, was not asked, actually, he's also charged with murder, but he was not asked to enter a plea to that charge. Um, it's expected he's going to be asked to enter a plea to that charge uh, July 9th when he's back in court next. But he has uh, told police he has accepted responsibility for killing her. So he has con- basically confessed in police interviews. He's told the cops, yeah, I, I, I did it. So, so what do we know about him? He was arrested pretty soon after her disappearance. Uh, do we know, did we get anything out of like what he said he did and why? Those sort of details haven't really been released yet um, because, you know, obviously they're still dealing with this case. I think it's all going to come out once he does plead guilty to the murder. And I think that's when we're going to get all the answers we want. But I mean, he was a police constable, uh, you know, guy in uniform. So, I mean, obviously, if he walked up to this woman as a police officer, she probably trusted him, you know. Uh, but he, he largely was, you know, on duty patrolling like diplomatic uh, uh Properties. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was out there, you know, chasing down, uh, you know, drug dealers. You know, he was kind of, kind of, uh, he was a veteran of the force, so he kind of had a cushy job. But still, that badge carries weight with people, and and it's easy to see how she could have been victimized in a situation like that. Goodness. So let's talk about uh, this movement um, that has, you know, gone worldwide. I mean, we are are seeing this hashtag used and and talked about and these conversations picking up in the U.S. and and around the world following her killing. What do you think it was about this specific um, incident that has really just touched so many people? Well, I think you're... I think any person should have the right to walk home and and safely yeah. and not have to you know be worry about but 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 we we live in a world where that's not the case especially for women and and you know even Kate Middleton the Duchess of Cambridge she was involved in in some of uh, the, the vigils she attended them because she remembered what it was like to walk on the London streets and and to get catcalled late at night and and, and you cover this inside and out you, you cover crime so what is the prevalence? in terms of this particular type of violence, male-on-female violence. Oh my God! I mean, it's it's most of the crime that, not even that I cover, but that I see. Yeah. You know, and and as I'm out there trying to find stories, I mean, yeah, it's it's we're, we don't live in a world where where that. I mean, look at serial killers, for example. I mean, most of them are male. We I, I can only name like one or two female serial killers. Uh, and I think that's just because women are inherently uh, better people <laughs> than men. I, I mean, I agree. Uh, that, you know, I'm probably going to get a lot. I'm going to get a lot of hate mail on uh, Twitter, I think. But, you know, that, that that's prevalent more in men than, than women, for sure. I mean, in my experience, statistically from from someone who's covering it. Yeah. And I, I just I'm so happy that, uh, you know, this is getting out there and getting, you know, promoted the way that it is. So people this is yeah. happening, of course, for 
for since the beginning of time, but people aren't going to take it anymore and, and we're going to speak out about it. So Chris, thank you so much for, for your work covering this story and, and, and just this message. Of course. That was People Crime reporter Chris Harris. For more on the Sarah Everard story out of the UK, head over to people.com. And now, something to make you smile. Have you ever had someone say, you know, you look just like... (laughs) Well, that is what is happening with a dad these days. Uh, An adorable video has gone viral of a little girl mistaking her dad for Prince Harry on a cover of People magazine, of course. Take a listen. Mama, who's this? The Tots mom, Elizabeth Gamis, uploaded the cute video to TikTok, and it has racked up over 5 million views. In it, you see the dad wearing a baseball cap who does have a notable resemblance to the Duke. (laughs) Fair skin, eye shape, strawberry blonde, facial hair, and all. At the end of the video, you can hear the dad whisper a no, (laughs) but too late because this lookalike is in full effect. I will see you guys tomorrow. Tomorrow. 